The A-List is sponsored by Ad House Advertising School. You get 10 sessions with a working advertising professional for just 600 bucks. Dip your toe in the water and build your first book with freelance creative director Paul Fix. Learn unprofessional advertising from George Tannenbaum, former copy chief of Ogilvy, New York. Or learn to be a more strategic creative with strategic innovations expert Liz Grandillo. There's six classes to choose from, even one taught by little old me. Check it out at adhousenyc.com. Zoom classes start week of May 25th. There's only 14 people to a class, and they're filling up fast. So hurry, adhousenyc.com. And now, here's our show. COVID creative phase one is we're in this together, and what can we fucking find really fast that we could put something together, right? Now COVID creative phase two is, all right, wait a second. There's still room for creativity. Where is it? And now I think you're going to start seeing some more interesting things happen, I hope. Hello and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, and this is season four of The A-List podcast, and I'm recording it from um, a secret uh, and secure location here in New Jersey. Uh, And I'm editing it myself, and it's interesting to learn new things, isn't it? This is the time to do that. So I'm learning how to use GarageBand. So I apologize if this sounds like shit, but I think it sounds okay. Anyway, uh, today I got to talk to Tyler D'Angelo, the ECD and partner at Strawberry Frog in New York City. Uh, he is uh, talked to me from a studio in Jersey City where he is working uh, under quarantine. And he told the story of his very unusual uh, start into this business, which in this one, he tells us how he started literally as uh, a snowboarder. He started as a uh, he was he was a pro snowboarder, which is which is crazy and somehow got into this crazy business of advertising. So if you're a pro snowboarder and you are thinking, hey, there's not a lot of future in this pro snowboarding for me. This is the A-List podcast for you. Okay, so without further ado, I'm just going to get right into it and get into our conversation. Uh, we didn't really do like the, hey, how are you and introduction thing. So we're going to start right in with Tyler talking about the state of our business uh, during COVID. And uh, then you'll hear the story of Tyler D'Angelo. I, I don't say this in a um, in an insensitive way, but this there's a lot of creativity. I think that I hope will, and I think, and I'm trying to be part of it myself as much as I can be. That will come out of this, yeah. Because the constraints that we're in, and the reframing of things that we're going through, might inspire a lot of new thought. You know, I think everybody right now is it's like getting hit with a bat. You're like, what the fuck are we going to do right now? And then you all sort of like when the stars stop a little bit, you get focused and you're like, okay, well, here's some paths we can take. And I don't think anybody knows what the right, what the right one is. Um, 
everybody went to the, you know, a very similar place. And it was very interesting after moments after it hit, because many of us creatives and, and me included, I have to, you know, not going to dodge it. I, you know, went to a very similar creative place because it's what we had access to. And it's what our, all of our initial thoughts were. And, and, you know, the phase one COVID creative phase one is we're in this together and what, can we fucking find really fast that we could put something together, right? Yeah. yeah. Now COVID creative phase two is, all right, wait a second. There's still room for creativity. Where is it? And now I think you're going to start seeing some more interesting things happen, I hope. Yeah. I'm, and- I'm starting to notice that uh, a lot of brands are starting to co-create. The brands that, like I said, uh, you got to have some brand love. Yeah. The ones that do have brand love and have customers that really love them, are creating with those customers in interesting ways. Like they're having them do the song for Popeye's chicken, you know, or, you know, there people are wanting to be a part of some brands and then some, you know, that would be weird. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that all these things are going to start, all these ideas are going to, people have a minute now to think about this and find new creative sort of directions. Yeah. uh, that, that maybe the limit the limitations uh, spawn some creates a lot of unexpected creativity. I hope so. I hope so too. And yeah. I and I think that uh, it's still a, a great business to be in. Um, so so where did you grow up? If we can just step away from this COVID craziness and and yeah. imagine a time before that, uh, where did you grow up? I I I bounced around a little bit. I was uh, born on the East Coast, then went to Texas. For a long time and and then moved I mean, about, just in middle school moved back to out just outside boston and okay. it, and and uh i think that's where my this journey begins for me where did that where did that what did that do to you though moving around so much you know it's part of i think it's, i think it's part of my story i don't know why anybody wants to hear my story but i think you know who wants to hear it i i think when i speak to younger yeah people getting into the business that uh, that, that, that didn't necessarily go through an advertising. I want to give them some, some hope Yeah, that you can get through it any number of ways, not even hope, but just to give you a suggestion. You can, so mine is definitely not through ad school, but what, but, but, but I think it, to go back to your original question, the reason I, we, me moving actually had a lot to do with in moving when I did in middle school, uh, you're sort of like trying to figure out who you are had a lot to do you know you try a lot of personas i guess am i this person am i a punk am i a skater am i a jock like you've got to figure that out that, that's exactly when, it, when i moved in it i moved at a time into the school outside boston had like 50 students in the middle school and they all had been together their entire lives i moved in there like some asshole from texas that i didn't know anything and i'm like oh the best thing for me to do is join the ski club which was the worst idea I could have possibly done if I wouldn't. So the ridicule that I brought upon myself was, was just unrelenting. Yeah. And, um, and it was one of those things where like, this was before, thank God there wasn't cyber bullying. Cause the real bullying was like, I took it, took it face first by, <laughs> uh, by coming into that situation. And what I did the net, you know, the following year is I was like, you know, I, I want to group skateboarding. I'm like, I, you know, fuck, to skiing i hate everybody you know i hate going to school i'm going to be a snowboarder yeah and for some reason very lucky for me 
I, I, it was in my blood. I picked it up very quickly and um, started to travel and do it and got sponsors and that kind of thing. And it began to shape my identity a little bit. Wait a minute, you became like a, like a famous snowboarder kind of? No, I wouldn't say, let's not say famous. Not professional famous, snowboarder. Not famous. And I'll be honest, I, I, I have lived in, I lived, it, it took me to live in government subsidized housing. I was so convinced this was my career that um, once I got to college, I, I, got, I dropped out once. As soon as I got there, I dropped out and I moved to the worst the worst ski uh, area you possibly could have imagined for any t forming any type of relationship with anybody. So I, I ended up moving to upstate Maine, way, way in like the boonies and outside of this uh, area called Sugarloaf. Instead of moving to like cool, like Burlington, Vermont at that point, I'm like, no, I want to be, I want to be around nobody for some reason. I, I thought it was the gnarliest mountain. So I went there. I lived in government housing. Um, How did you, what, what, what do you mean government housing? Just like you like found the cheapest. Like I made so little money doing it that the government subsidized my living situation. And right. I probably should not have been, like there was people who like killed their dinner I lived next to. I mean, it was a really like, ups, it was a really like Northern Maine experience that I've, I, I never knew existed. But uh, so I did that. Um, and then I went back to college. I think at that point, a, a year, and then I was still out of my blood. So I got kicked out of college and so my grades were so bad. Um, and at that point, I was in UVM. I decided to go back to, to go to Burlington where there was people. Yeah. Uh, UVM kicked me out. And then I went to this small liberal arts, or it actually was a sort of a liberal arts and, and art school called Champlain College. And at that point, Champlain was where it was known, had a reputation of when you got flunked out of UVM, you go to Champlain. Yeah. And that's what I did. And, um, and at that point, I had, and this is a, this is directly relates to advertising, I promise. After I got kicked out uh, and I went back to Champlain, I had got injured so many times snowboarding, I couldn't compete at do I couldn't compete anymore. And I needed, at that point, I knew what it was like to live your work in a way so that your, your, um, your interests and what you were pursuing as a living were intertwined. Yeah. And lost that, I had to replace it with something. And I, and I grew up thinking the only people that made money were doctors and lawyers and engineers and it was another reason I kept flunking out is because I was pursuing engineering and I could barely add two numbers together so uh when I when I finally got back to school I was like you know what? I don't care if I don't make any money anymore I don't care if I'm a starving artist I would rather be happy and not chase money anymore because that's not making me happy and it's not working out and I need to replace the snowboarding which I lost with something else that I'm really passionate about so I finally embraced um, writing and writing and design, which I love both of them, and that then everything started to change for me. Well, now, now writing and design had been a thing that was just like a hobby for you while you were pursuing everything else. Yeah, always. You know, just in school. You know, I was that skater kid that drew all over his shoes and all over his desk and graffiti and skated and design. So design was so important into action sports. Design was is you can't you know with a lot of traditional sports the design is, is made for you. You know, you're sort of go into an existing, your, you know, existing sports entity where you are labeled, you know, where the Falcons, where the, the grout, whatever, you know, right. and that's, but was, you know, for me, we're skating and snowboarding is that the, the, the sport and the artistic aspect of the sport were very connected with each other. Self, it's all about self-expression yeah. and, um, and, 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 and things evolving quickly both with the sport and the visuals of the sport is that that's when I first started getting a taste, a taste of it. 
and uh, and would design skate decks and that kind of thing when I was a kid and and uh, and so that sort of that, that, I think that had a lot of influence on me and it was it was also just the finding the passion of it um, and and finally sort of saying I don't care if I don't make money anymore this is I need to do something I love and that's what's going to make me happy and that was a big moment for me. Um, uh, and it was in college, and then and then once I once I just sort of relieved that. Champlain, this is a Champlain College, and and oh, Champlain, yeah, Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. And this is where you figured that out. You were like, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into graphic design here at Champlain. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. So so I, and it's during that process, everything that the the, the school part, I started to feel that some of that success of oh, this is what it feels like to be successful at school, and of and, and actually wanting to be there and trying yeah. to soak everything I possibly can out of this because I, it, 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 because it's what I wanted. And, and that changed my perspective of things. And um, when I, uh, and, and, and when I, so when I got out of school, I'd, I had no, even out of college, I had no grasp of what advertising was. I had no, it was, it was years before I did. Right. And, and so when I got out of college, I was looking at, um, at that point I was, I had a, call it a company, not if it was a company, but I would, for local businesses, I would, you know, make DVDs and websites, sort of, you call it that, and, and these kind of things. I remember once there, there was a local company and they asked me to make them a 30-second TV ad, which I, I don't even know what I knew that was. And I, and I ended up giving them one that was three and a half minutes. And they really pissed off at me because they're like, dude, I needed it 30 seconds. I'm like, I gave you three and a half minutes. Like, that's so much better value for you. <laughs> which, <laughs> no, like unusable at that point um it would probably have costed you like you know like 35 dollars to stream to this three and a half minute thing you know you're paying for the internet back then but, um, you're paying by the by the minute for the internet yeah i just i thought that i just said over delivered in that moment but what so i i, I, I wanted to you know i went on uh on on the internet whatever it was at that point i i was looking for companies in new york city i knew new york city i thought that's where the epicenter was and i ended up finding this post-production company and i again i had no idea what post-production was i just saw they did cool cool stuff it's called charlex and i got a job as a um under this guy alex weil i think uh, uh it was it had a tremendous effect on me um and uh and that's where my first job was 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 i was an assistant editor and how did you how did you find charlex how did you know you just like went said okay new york city uh and then said what what like design graphic design um i don't even remember what i must have yahoo which i must have asked jeeved to get there <laughs> but uh i think it was you know it was probably like something like graphic design cool graphics animation that kind of thing and right i would have done it that would have been animation. yeah i think it was animation and so i went there and, and, and if those of you most of you you know us old bastards if you had ever worked with alex Wild, I mean, he was like militant everything had to be perfect and so yeah that, that was just drilled in me. I remember working like there was, there was, I went to a, and no one could go home until shit was done. And by the way, it did not render very fast back then. So no. there was times that, uh, you know, you, you may, you, you may remember some of this. There was, I remember there was a time, two and a half days I did not go home straight. Just because you, you had to like, were, like you had to the background like frame by frame on something and just, yeah, one time my job, Alex said, your job is to watch the render farm, and every time a computer goes down, you have to restart that computer. That was your job. That was my. That was two and a half days, like <laughs> one 
was like 55 straight. I don't remember what it was. It was I remember it was over 40 hours straight. I did not go home because I had to watch this render farm. So I slept, ate, and whatever there. Um, and that was my, that was my instant. And so I did that for a couple of years. And I remember waking up one day though, and being like, if I could have, I, you know, I said to myself, like, if you could have any job here, what would it be? And I really couldn't pick. I was like, I, you know, besides owning, owning it, which is stupid. Right. Yeah. I, and I, cause I was a terrible, I was a really bad assistant editor. Um, what made you so bad? What makes a good assistant editor and what, what made you not, not great? I didn't realize it. Cause I still didn't have an, I still didn't have an understanding of what the job was. I didn't know why I was there. <laughs> I, and it, I'm telling you, it took me years to figure out what I did. Here's the only thing I did know. I knew that these two people would come into a room. I didn't know what they did, but they would talk about all these places they had traveled, <laughs> eat all this awesome food. They would sit behind me and tell me what to do and tell this editor what to do. I was like, I don't want to do my job. I don't know what this job is, but I want to do that job. That job looks awesome. And it was a writer and an art director. And I had no idea, but I still didn't have any idea what it, what it meant to be a writer and art director. Uh, and so I started doing the research. I left, I think I left before I got fired. And um, I went home back, I moved back to my parents' house. Where was that? It, back outside Boston. Yeah. And I started researching. I bought every book I could and I started making my fake book because I never knew how to make one. I didn't know what ad school was. I mean, I wish I had this thing because it must have been horrendous. But I spent a year creating what I thought were ads. Right. And after a year, I started applying for jobs. And the first job I got was, in, I think it was Leo Burnett in Bratislava, Slovakia. <laughs> I swear, this is my first job. This is not my... So what happened was I was like, okay, I got to be around ad people. I'm ready to go. And so I was looking up where to go. And the first place that came, I don't know. Oh, no, I know why I did this. I was dating, I was dating a woman who was Slovakian at the time. And she was living someplace in Europe. And I would fly out there. That's a whole different, weird, very strange, weird story. And so I was like, I got to be out there. And so I found this advertising um, festival uh, called Golden Drum, which is kind of like the lions of Eastern Europe at that time. I think yeah. it still exists. And it was in Liblawana, Slovenia. And so I got a ticket. I fly to Liblawana, Slovenia. I mean, I don't know any, I even have a hotel. I land in, I think I landed in Milan and got a car, our train or a car, drove to Slovenia to this golden drum, which I didn't have a ticket for. I had no place to stay and went there every day uh, and talked to people and shared this horrible book that I had. And I, and then, and, and then I, got, I got home and they, and they hired me. And as we were negotiating my uh, salary, I figured out that they said, well, look, you're going to live like a king when you're out here. It's going to be great. But while I might have lived like a king when I was out there, um, I figured out I couldn't even afford a plane ride home after like a year of working. It would be impossible for me to like translate that to even fly home practically. So I didn't end up taking the job, although I was very, very close to. And... Uh, were they, were, they upset? were they upset? How do you not take a job after doing all that uh, back and forth? I I don't know how I don't know I don't know how beat up they were about it. To be honest, I, I think that there was they thought it was funny. I, I don't even know how far that would have gone, but I but I did have the job, uh, and, and maybe I should have taken it. But uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up getting a job as a 
assistant producer at Gray about six months later. Why, why did you end up in production? Uh, because I wanted to get into, I didn't care how I got into an agency, I just was gonna get into one. I figured yeah. once I was there, I was gonna figure out how to flip it to where I needed it to be. Right, and this so, is all from being at Charlex and saying, I wanna be like those people there. Yes, because I wanna do whatever the hell those people did who sat on a couch and had just traveled all over the world and seemed really cool. So I got this job at Gray because there was a producer that saw some of this work that I had done. A lot of it was what was considered digital at the time. I didn't even know that it was a digital was a thing or not a thing. I just, he, he looked at it and said, okay. And I think that because no one was really doing much work outside of the, you know, the traditional medias at that point, that's how I got the job. And, and so I go there and if I was a bad assistant produced assistant editor, I was a hundred times worse as a, as a, as a assistant producer. I mean, I was so bad that it was, I can't believe I didn't get fired right away. And it, and one. Who were your producers that you worked for? Who was your boss? Aaron Royer. And what was Aaron Royer like? He was great. Here's the thing at the time, Aaron helped, I gotta say, Aaron helped me start my career. He did because he was a, he's very creative as a, uh, as a producer. And, and he was ahead of his time in the sense that he was thinking a lot about how to, you know, about d- digital production and, and uh, Chad Hoppenwire was also, Hop, I'm going to say his last wrong. He's, he's also, he's super awesome. He's got a really funny uh, Instagram account because his Instagram stories are amazing right now, but Chad Hoppenwazer was under him and, and he was a big influence on, on create on the, on pulling creativity out of, out of uh, creatives. But anyway, I mean, everyone realized very soon that like me, trusting me with their budget was the worst idea possible. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and I had this amazing creative director. And I, it only, I, was, I, I was a producer probably for four months before I was a, a creative. And I think what happened was I, there was another art director that was also they needed to pair with. So I was, my first job was a writer. And so they got me an art director very quickly, I think about four months in. And our boss, uh, creative director at the time was um, Glenn Porter. Yeah, who worked at Kirschenbaum. Yes, yes. So Glenn Porter, uh, our, my first account was Diageo. I really lucked out. I was on Tangeray. And uh, I, I think I probably, at this point, probably understood 20% of my job. Um, and Glenn was a great, uh, a great creative director boss at the, to have as a first one because I mean, that guy wrote his own book. It was, there was no rules with Glenn. He, he was a really fantastic writer. He was such a big thinker and, a, and had a great creative mind. Working on uh, Tangeray and Diageo allowed us just to do insane, batshit crazy stuff. And this is when that idea of what I had in my mind of what it's like to be a, about an adver, a creative in advertising, it was it. I, I remember going to live. It was the first. You made it come true. It, 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 at that point, it came. I remember when I was in the first time I was in the Mondrian in, in – uh, in, in, in outside LA and, I, I'm, and we're in there, we're, we're shooting well, outside a, LA. It's the, the middle of Hollywood. You're right, middle, down right in the middle of West Hollywood, right in the middle of West Hollywood. And I, and I, and we were shooting this batshit crazy Tangeray commercial. And I just remember thinking like, this is, this is exactly what I, this is exactly what I signed up. For. Yeah. Um, and, and so that sort of began, uh, began uh, uh, the, the career. And then what was really 
then, but, and, I, and I think for a lot of younger creatives, what I would say is there's a few phases of, of, this, job, of this job, at least in my experience. And the first phase is, is one of the best, and it's, about, it's the pure nativity of everything. You have no idea what's right, what's wrong, and there's such amazing freedom and beauty in that because you just don't even know what you're supposed to or not supposed to necessarily do. Yeah. And, and after a couple of years of Gray, I was like, well, I can, I can do this better myself, so I'm going to start a company. Yeah, I saw that, that you, uh, after Gray, you started your own thing. And yeah, yeah. You had that much, like, you got a little taste of, like, oh, my God, it's like this? This is easy. And you just jumped in to do it yourself? I'm like, fuck this. I'm just, I'm just, why can't I do this myself? And so I, so I did. I started this. Um, it was called Modern Publicity. It's a weird name. Yeah, I don't even know why we called it that, but it was called Modern Publicity. Uh, what, was, what was crazy, and I didn't realize how insane this was, is when I left Gray, Tangeray came with me, or not Tanger, Diageo. They said, well, great, well, here's, here's the first project. I think it was a $150,000 project at that time, and they just gave yeah. it to me. And I was like, yeah, that's normal. And so um, I launched with them, help, uh, on, I think it was some Captain Morgan project. And, and I had a business partner and he owned like a digital company or something. And anyway, it was fun. And a lot of my clients ended up becoming other, other ad agencies that needed a 360 guy, if that's right. the word I could use for it. Right. Like a, like a, cause you, you just kind of, I was look, re-looking at a lot of your work and a lot of it doesn't, it's not really advertising. It's like a, it's like a, like an event or, or an action or a, um, was yeah. that something that just came from sort of that? I think this path that I just never knew what the right, what a real life, what I didn't know what I was supposed to do. So often I would make it up or it would come from some interest I had. Right. Cause yeah. you weren't trying to be like Bill Burnback or you weren't trying to be like, you know, you, you didn't have like, who were you trying to be? I don't know. I, I wish I had some of those influences and maybe some of the influences came from many of mine came from outside the industry, just things that I was interested in at the time. You know, I'd go through these periods of weird interests. Like there was this time where I was, I was enthralled by reading biographies of physicists for, I don't even know for some reason. And so that one thing led, led to another. And because I loved reading about physicists, I did a project with NASA and it was not a real project. I mean, it didn't start that way, but I ended up selling it to a client or, you know, um, or I was into computer, you know, uh, doing gaming. And so that would influence a project. It would, it would be whatever my, in, a lot of times, whatever my interests were, I'd, I, I'd get a brief and then that was in my head. So that, that was the filter that I had to sort of fill, you know, that the project would go through. Yeah. So, you know, in, in some ways it helped, in some ways it hurt. Uh, or it was a learning curve was hard. And, and as you said, there's a lot of ideas, especially earlier in my career. And I've made a lot of mistakes. Even to this day, I always make mistakes, but you'll see earlier, I think I was a lot more free thinking and I would do, you couldn't really place with what type of idea they were. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and as I, and, and, and that's when, and even to this, you know, that's what I, that's when I met when I was doing modern publicity when I met um, DeVito Verity. It's when I met work with Cliff Freeman and, and some of these people that had, that were really the sort of, the, you know, some of the most amazing writers in advertising is when I, started to get that influence yeah. as I was presenting these crazy ideas to them that I don't think were based in much of anything. And I would get their feedback and then I was like, Oh wait, okay, there's something going on here. 
And I think probably at that point, I understood 30% of my job, 40% of my job. And after a couple of years of that, I ended up folding it, um, learning a lot about how to work with finding business partners and that sort of, that's another whole other thing. But it was a great experience. And I ended up working, I ended up folding it and, and going in, and working for um, uh, Sal and Ellis, Sal DeVito and Ellis Verity. And at that, those, and, and I was there for five years. Uh, and that was when I started understanding what the job was. It wasn't until then, I, almost four years into my job, it wasn't until I started working with Cliff, Sal, and Ellis, and, and actually Richard Kirschenbaum was, in, uh, was a mentor of mine for while I was doing modern publicity. Yeah. So uh, those people began to have an influence on what we actually, what now I consider what my job actually is. And, and, and how, how did you find those mentors? How did you get Richard to be your mentor? It went well through his, uh, his sister because of how she helped, uh, uh, Susan helped fi- uh, me find early jobs. And, and, and she liked the way I, I was thinking and, and introduced me to her brother, Richard. And, and so I got in with him. And then it was through modern publicity that I, I, these other agencies at the time that might have been more traditional were looking for people like myself to help them um, take some of their concepts and make them more, uh, you know, 360 digital or that kind of thing. Uh, So I would lead them through, just through the need, because I was feeling a need that I didn't even know existed, but but I had, that was the way I came into advertising was through that type of marketing. Very entrepreneurial. And then you folded it and you said, you know what, this is hard doing all this myself. And now I found my tribe in. You know, the reason I I got, I I folded it was more to do with the the structure of the partnership I had. I hadn't thought it through enough and it was, it just became not in my favor. It wasn't the, the better we did, I was not benefiting from them from that partnership. Right, right, right. Um, In that sense, it was very hard to learn that, um, that's that lesson, but, but, uh, but, but took me on a path I'm very grateful for. So, yeah. Uh, so, and also, you know, just the exposure to, you know, Sal, who I don't, I, I don't think in five years really ever understood what I did. Tell us about Sal, Sal DeVito. What's, what's, what's the real Sal DeVito like? What, what is? Well, I, I, I guess in many ways, unfortunately, got him in his teamer, some of his teamer years. Although, I, I mean, I have stories that are from for a different time that are wonderful, amazing, amazing Sal stories, and everybody probably has some. Uh, but he was, I mean, he's insanely passionate about his job and expected the best from you and, and would take nothing less. And I think that that, uh, I love that, you know, and even, even if the way he reacted, if you gave him less than that, I love that too. Uh, and I also really, really, what I really learned was, is, 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 is in my relationship, I was closer to Ellis, uh, it, it, interestingly. And, and I really, as Ellis, as on the, let's call it the account business side, his love for creativity and his love for great ideas um, uh, was, was something really, really great. And, and, and he let me make mistakes. He allowed me to make many, many, many mistakes and, and would just sort of laugh uh, and, um, and, and say, look, I'm going to teach you. You're going to learn a lesson. It's going to cost me a lot of money right now, but you're going to learn a really good lesson right now. So I have a lot of endearment to Ellis and how he shaped, shaped my career. You have to find these people, though. You know, along your way, you, you know, you can never do these things yourself. You have to, as you're, as you're going through this career, you got to find collaborators. You, you have to find uh, um, people that will support you and people that you want to support. Yeah. Uh, because this is a business that re- you, rely, you have to rely, you, you cannot do this business by yourself. You have to find people that you, um, that you like. 
Yeah. And then you like spending a lot of time with and that, um, and that you respect. I think it's so important. Yeah. So once you were at uh, Devere Verde, uh, you were in that, that crew and, and where did you go from there? What, what was next? Um, after that, I, I, you know, I, I, I realized at one point, I'm like, if I don't get out of here right now, I will never leave here because it felt right. so much like home. And uh, that scared me a little bit. It scared me that I was following the same path over and over again each day. And that, and that what's important for creatives and younger creatives for me at that time was that you, um, that you experience a lot of change, you know, right. that you shake up your routine because you need all the influence you can get when you're young, you know, yeah. um, before you fall into the trap of aging. And, and so, it is a trap, by the way. It's, a, it's yeah, it's, it's avoided at all, at all costs, as they say. But, so I, I wanted to make a jump because uh, I didn't go from art director to, you know, associate creative director, creative director, group creative director. I made these big jumps probably way before I was capable of doing them. But when, when I started my agency, you know, I just said, well, I'm now a creative director, you know, <laughs> just right. because I called myself that. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I got, that's what they called me at DeVito Verity. And I never would have gotten that job if I, if I had gone through the past because I wasn't qualified for it. I, would, I, I always put myself in jobs I was not qualified for and then had to figure them out very quickly before everyone figured out that I wasn't qualified for them. <laughs> so um, the next jump I went from, uh, I knew I wanted to make a really big jump, but I might, for me personally, I might have to leave New York City to do that. So I got a job in Chicago and that was the first time I became an ECD and I got it at Havas in Chicago. And again, not qualified for that job. Ended up convincing someone I did it, I could. And I, I don't think I was ever qualified while I had the job. I made so many mistakes as a, as a first time ECD. Many, many, many mistakes. But I, I'm so glad I did it in another state where I could leave. <laughs> where where did what did you learn there like what is what was the biggest like if you if you can go back in time and yeah. talk to yourself when you first got into that job what would you say like do this don't do that i think you, you i fell into the trap that i knew more than everybody else the higher my title that it, it gave me the permission to know more than somebody else with a with a position that wasn't mine and right. that was a huge mistake yeah um I, you know, no one teaches you as a creative how to be a good leader. You yeah. know, there's a time when you spend so much time on the craft that you forget there's, that's only a component of the job. Yeah. That you at some point can be really, really great at the craft, but suck in 10 other places that are so important into the career. You know, you can't, at this point, I think we all know that you can't just be a great creative. You have to be a great business person. You have yeah. to be a, a great um, uh, uh, account person you have to be a great strategist a creative has to understand the complete scope of the job I, I think maybe I'm, I could be wrong someone else could call me and ask you know your your buck just focus on being great creative a uh, great at the craft and, and, and I think that does help a lot of people and there's so many people who are better me better than me at that um, but I think what's helped me is sort of to understand the totality of the entire job, which includes a lot more than just the craft of the creative. And so when I was at Habas, I, I thought it was just, I have this title. I, I knew people and I don't think that I listened. I think that the feedback I gave was really bad uh, at times. I think that there was some arrogance that I had when I, when I, when I had that title. And, and I think I tried to do a lot of the work myself. And it yeah. was like every bad thing that you could do as a creative leader, I did every single one of them. 
but but I but as I was doing it, I think that one of the things I I I think that I'm one of the things I think I'm good at. There aren't many. One of the things I think I'm good at though is is being able to pivot, is being able to be reflective and having some amount of empathy to sort of say, are you constantly asking myself, are you really doing this right or is there a better way to do it? So when I left, when I, and I was only in Chicago for a year and I, and it, and I actually made some very close friends that I'm, that I'm close with to this day, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, including somebody I had started with the same day I started, had started a job similar to mine who now, based, you know, now is the, like the, chairman CEO of the entire company uh and 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 he was a great leader he is a great a really great leader who is that uh uh Paul Marabella who I consider he's he was we grew up in the same from the same town and he's um, an amazing amazing business person leader and and I have a a lot of respect for him and he's a close friend of mine now uh so he did a lot of the right things I did a lot of the wrong things uh and again I think I left right before I was about to get fired uh, so, um, but I also, I think Chicago wasn't working for me. I think I learned about myself, like I liked being on a coast and that was another thing. So when I came back, um, I went to, um, uh, I ended up going to McGarry Bowen is where I went. I, I got a job and, um, started, started to do a few, a few, a few things. I started to learn a few more things that I, that I think, uh, are more right than wrong. And so. I probably understood a little bit more about my job. And that was sort of the phase two of my career, I think began then, which is when you start having to think about how you're making the company money and what it means to be in the advertising business, not just creating, developing creative. Yeah. And so that was an important phase uh, at that point for me is to start to sort of begin to sort of look at time allocations and how you use resources. And now you're responsible for some of those things which is an evolution. And I don't know that it's for everybody. I don't know that every, I think there's probably, there, I, probably, I know that there are some of the best creatives in the world that don't feel the need or, or have to go through the stages of a creative, that, that you could stop at being an art director and, and you should be, you could be the highest paid person there. You should be if you're that great at it. And yeah. some people know, stop here because I'm amazing at this and I don't, necessarily want to have those other pieces yeah and i love i love doing it you know that kind of it could be just that you know you just love making things yes Uh, and if you're good at it and you you can get the work then uh it's it's kind of a great a great thing to do but uh getting that leadership skill it's i don't think there's an easy way to do it i don't think you can learn it in a you certainly can't learn it in a classroom i don't think um you have to you have to make the mistakes and it's it's brave of you to talk about all the all the mistakes you made along the way. So that's cool. Yeah. All the time, constantly. Yeah. You're, always, you're always screwing up. I mean, I hope you mitigate the degree that you screw up, or at least try to. But if you're not taking risks, I was, you know, when I was snowboarding, I was like, if you're not trying if you're not falling. Yeah. Well, that was a thing. And I learned a lot of lessons from, from snowboarding that I take to me to this day. One of the best ones that I learned from it was, um, you know, I remember being, um, I would compete in the half height. And I remember there'd be day and the conditions would always change much like our business, the conditions. So sometimes it was icy or sometimes it was powder, even, you know, you start learning a lot about snow and there's so many types of snow when you, when you, this is your life, um, you know, uh, that, that the conditions can change a little bit and it takes on a whole new um, experience in a completely different way. And so I remember one of the things that had a lasting impact on me that, 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 that 
even today is, is there'd be times when we'd be at the top of the half pipe and it'd be 20, you know, negative 10 degrees outside, negative 15 degrees outside the half pipe. Maybe it was warm the day before and now it's freezing the next day. So that'd be kind of, we call it, you know, be kind of chopped up, carved up, which means that it was very imperfect, super icy, very, very difficult. And it, we, I find myself and some other people that would be at the top of there, oh, this thing sucks today. Screw this. Let's go home. Let's get out of here. This thing's terrible. And there'd always be this one person that would just fucking tear it up and yeah. leave us all sitting there being like, well, we just complained this whole time. And this person over here just destroyed this thing. Yeah. And, and it was so humbling because I was like, you can, you know, even to say you get a bad brief, you'll say you have a bad client. Yeah. So many reasons why things could be impossible to do good work in, but there's, Oh, you just know there's some motherfucker out there that's going to destroy this thing and do great work. And yeah. you're going to be sitting there complaining about what you don't have control over. And so I think that's been the biggest thing for me is when you're, you're, you're always, you know, there's, Oh, if creativity can solve, you know, there's someone out there that could, that, that it, it always can come up with something great. So. Yeah. In any condition, that's really, that's really inspiring, especially right now. Right. Uh, when the conditions are the worst they could be. Uh, what are, tell me about now at, uh, at your strawberry frog, your uh, ECD at strawberry yeah. or CCO? Yeah, I'm, I'm a, uh, I, partner. I partner ECD. Yeah. Uh, and I've been um, lucky to fall into another situation where uh, myself and the, and the founder get along really well. I have a lot. I just, I, I, I it's become another home for me. My yeah. desire to, to bounce as much as I did when I was when I was younger, um, and yeah. uh, and and you know things different things are important to me, and and so yeah, I've, I'm, I'm there almost four years now, I think. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, what is the what is it about Strawberry Frog that you that in, that inspired you and and attracted you and and what is it about it now that and how are you dealing with all this COVID? I don't know how you want to parse that up. Yeah, I, well, two different things. I think. Well, also they they may they may have something to do with each other. So, um, I what I love about you know Scott Goodson, the the founder, along with his wife Karen, um, they uh, you know they it's a it's a smaller agency and uh, and built on creativity and and um, and being nimble and strong. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of the anti-agency, you know, in many ways. And, the, and, and that's what they sort of founded it on is, is being that really small, powerful, nimble. That's the, stra- you know, the strawberry frog, I think is a type of dark frog. It's really small and powerful. So right. um, that sort of philosophy has run through the company all the time. And I think what's helped it survive for over 20 years, I mean, uh, an agency that small has no business surviving or, you know, not, it's not that small, but an agency like Strawberry Frog, creatively minded, medium, right. small, medium-sized agency, is very, very difficult to survive for twenty years. Yeah, um, and and Scott and Karen have pulled it pulled it off, and they continue to thrive. I, you know, last year was one of our best years ever, and right. I think it has to do with the just the mindset that they have and that they've inspired us with um, that we've taken on um, uh, to always be pivoting and to always find strength and that sort of thing. And and it also it's it's you know Scott's vision is very specific. You know, he created the movement agency when that, I think, not saying he coined the phrase, but it was that long ago, you know, built on sort of the philosophy. A lot of, you know, it was in Sweden where purpose was very important, even 20 years ago with like Kia and you know, smart car when it came out, like those were some of his first clients. And 
And so the purpose was very important and that's what he sort of built it on. And he hasn't, he hasn't changed off of that. He's yeah. in the company therefore has really maintained its, its focus and its value and, and not sort of adjusted with the times, but more has sort of led the way. And so I think that's been very important to us. And, and, and we've, we also are able to, without a lot of red tape or, or uh, you know, um, uh, going through a lot of people, we, so we, we want to change the business model, we just change it. One day with this, and then we change it to that, if that's better for the company. Right. Um, and so I think that that's, that's also been uh, really important um, um, for us. And especially during, you know, especially, I can't say during this time, I can't say any of these words, but I'm so sick of hearing. Uh, it's, it's hard. During, during these unprecedented events. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly when there's a lot of change, being able to, being able to, it's so important not to dig in and say, well, this is what we do. Yeah. So we have to create inflexibility with this. That's what will break you is, 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 the, is sticking to what you do when everything else is changing around you. Yeah. And I think it's the nimbleness and the small and, and the mindset of the company and the, that says, okay, well, things are changing. How does the business change? Yeah. So we have those type of meetings. We, you know, we get together a lot and it doesn't feel very much that different than when we were in an office together. And so the, um, we're all sort of being able to sort of move with the tide right now and say, well, how does this change our business? How do our clients sort of fly? And so we're able to move, move, move around and, and um, you know, as, 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 as the world's changing around us, we're also changing and, and figure out what, what are people need, what do people need, what do they want, and how do we fill that? Yeah. And also just always keeping the creativity at the core value of the company and, and providing the, the, you know, and sticking to the, the purpose and the movement and, and, and those sort of ideas, but just thinking about more about what they mean, you know, and, and then how that translates to the work that we do. Um, yeah. yeah. That's great. Uh, what, what clients do you have right now that, uh, that people, uh, what are you, what are you excited about that you've done in the last uh, year that people could check out on, on the strawberry frog site or, or where should they go to see your, your stuff that you've done? Yeah. Now the websites, I think the websites really, yeah. really good, uh, to go, to go for some of that work. Uh, you know, there's, we have, we've fallen into some very, you know, some really great clients at at the moment, I'm not going to say especially for right now, but, um, you know, we've got two, ho- two hospital networks, obviously, that need a lot of communication being done right now and, and are allowing for a lot of inspiring type of work. We have, uh, we, we had uh, a, a bank that's been with us, with us for as long as I've been there um, that's merged yeah. with SunTrust and now it's become a company, uh, a new, new bank called Truist or financial institution called Truist. Uh, and they are, it's led, it's led by um, some people who are super creative and really push for a lot of great work. And, and so we are um, with them through this merger that they just went to. And obviously they have a lot to talk about because I think, you know, we just were going through right now that, that um, a, a health crisis, but that was, we all know, is soon will turn into a financial situation and that, that will need some guidance through that. And so they're going to play you know, an important role into into guiding people and, and I hope to help them with a lot of that work into helping people with how do you take on the financial aspect of this situation. Yeah. Um, we also have, you know, a really, some really fun clients like uh, Woody, Woody, called Woody Creek Distillers out of Aspen, uh, who I love. There's so, so, so much fun. We're doing some work with uh, Willie Mace Macy, who's, who's part of that uh, company and is getting us a lot of his own creative thoughts and time. And so that's going to be some fun work. I, th- I think with some levity to it as well, which is, which is good right now. 
think we're all uh, the Ryan Reynolds uh, PowerPoint commercial that I, I just saw that come up today and I have not seen it, but it's on my of my million tabs. It's up there right now to check out. Like an ad made in PowerPoint by Ryan Reynolds is uh, awesome. pretty probably going to be pretty fun. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing some of the most some of the most fun work right now at advertising. Showing, yeah. showing it all up. So yeah. I like that. Uh, just to your point of like the constraints, kind of making everybody more creative. The things like John Krasinski is doing with the you know Good News Network or whatever he calls it. Yeah. Um, and you know, just people are just doing things that, and I think that the last two Saturday Night Lives that I've seen have been better than most Saturday Night Lives that I've seen lately because they're getting better they're getting everyone's sort of learning how to do it yeah yeah um where can people write to you if they want to send you their their books and and say uh, yeah. hey please please do um just you i'll give you my you just have my uh, email address it's just tyler at strawberry frog easy to remember um strawberry frog yeah. and, and also if there's advice i can give i'm always happy i got so much good advice uh when i was getting started that i felt invaluable that um Anybody can reach out, ask advice, send books, um, ask, ask me anything. Uh, and I hope you get to snowboard uh, this winter coming up. Yeah, I do too. We'll see, we'll see if everyone's allowed back, uh, back, back on the mountain. But, but yeah. Well, uh, I know that you have a busy day and thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, it was great to see your face. So that was my chat with Tyler D'Angelo. I hope you enjoyed this uh, advertising origin story. We're continuing with the A-list, pandemic or no. Um, and if you want to write your own advertising origin story or just restoke your inspiration, consider taking a class at Ad House Advertising School. You get 10 classes with an A-list talent for just 600 bucks. Classes start a week after Memorial Day 2020. That's like next week or something. Sign up at adhousenyc.com. There's still space in a few of the classes, so uh, go for it. And there's one thing that hasn't changed about the A-List, and that's our music. The music you're listening to right now was created by Ross Hopman and the geniuses at Duotone Audio Group, and I don't sing their praises enough. If you have some budget for music, I suggest you spend it at duotoneaudiogroup.com. And this wasn't the only song they sent through. No, no. This was, there was another one. There were a few. So what I'm going to do uh, right now is I'm going to play out this uh, this this rarity this this one that you you haven't heard yet. Here's the here's the other music that we didn't use for the A list. And uh, thanks for listening. Subscribe. Uh, uh, do all the other things wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you next time. Bye, everybody. Tom Christman has a show. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you know?